We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Blue Wire. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of BuzzBeat. We are your go-to Hornets podcast for deep analysis, and you can find us on the Blue Wire Network. Just search BuzzBeat and or Blue Wire into iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app, and be sure to give us a five-star rating to help boost our exposure. On today's episode, we're going to discuss an article that I posted on Forbes.com this week about Kimball Walker's future. And then to end the episode, Brian and Spencer are going to talk about two prospects, uh, one from Oregon and one from Kentucky. We got Bobel and PJ Washington. But before we jump into those topics, I do want to get your initial thoughts on the lottery from Tuesday night. Any conspiracy theories, anything shocking from either one of you guys? I mean, I, I think the NBA got what they wanted, right? I like the, the smoothing with these rules clearly mm-hmm. worked. And uh, I mean, that was really my initial reaction after it was all over because there was just so much to take in. Uh, is it, hey, you know, the NBA got this right. This is what they wanted. You know, the Rudy Gobert said on Twitter, oh, tanking is over. I don't believe that necessarily, but yeah, I mean, I think the NBA got what they wanted. And you know what? Good for the small markets. We, I, I think, hopefully, I speak for all of us that, that we always pull for the small market. So it was cool to see New Orleans and Memphis go one two. Yeah, I think a um, couple takeaways I had. Uh, this was one of the three spots or three or four spots I was cool with Zion going to. I think Atlanta was at the top of that list. The, the Dallas Mavericks and in, in the Memphis Grizzlies, the possibility of him playing with Jaron Jackson Jr. But but the Pelicans with David Griffin pulling the strings and you know Anthony Davis as a potential trade ship or a teammate Drew Holiday. Look, if you care about basketball, Zion Williamson should matter to you. And I think this is a decent spot. I know word out of uh, you know stuff that's been leaking from his camp over the last twenty four hours is not exactly uh, doesn't exactly ring the bell that he's thrilled to be locked into New Orleans, but. I don't think that's going to stick. He's going to go, like he's going to stay in the draft. It's laughable to think that he wouldn't. Yeah, I think he's going to end up going there. I think it's going to be a, a pretty successful marriage between the two. So lucky for the uh, the Pelicans there. And then the, uh, Spencer had the same takeaway too in terms of the smoothing function. It is like it's got to sting a little bit for teams like the Knicks, the Cavaliers, and the Suns. We talked about these teams this year when the Hornets played them, like just how bad these teams were. I mean, the Knicks. That was one of the 10 worst defenses in the history of the NBA. 
And, you know, they're probably going to be drafting R.J. Barrett at number three now. <laughs> like, like you know, the, the goal was to get Zion. They only had a 14% chance of that. And, and obviously the draft is pretty top-heavy. So, you know, teams like, you know, Phoenix gets six. I mean, that hurts. Lakers jump up to four. Who knows if that becomes a trade chip or, if, you know, if they end up using that to take someone like a Darius Garland seems to be the hot name with them now, yeah. too. Um, but we'll see a lot, you know, a lot's going to happen over the next five weeks, but yeah, same thought smoothing seemed to at least, you know, the sample size of one have a, have a, an impact. And, and I thought Zion it had, it had, is set for what looks to be a pretty solid destination. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought there would be more conspiracy theories out of you, Spencer, with, uh, you know, the Lakers jumping up like seven spots <laughs> to get to that fourth spot. You're, you're such a conspiracy theorist on this, on this episode. So, um, yeah. I do like how they, they pick four teams now instead of three. That, that's like my biggest kind of takeaway from this. That's, that's my favorite thing. I, I get that they, um, the top three teams also have the best shot of getting the number one spot, but the picking of the four teams kind of makes it, or give a little bit more hope to those teams in the lower end of the lottery. Yeah. Well, to answer your question, Richie, um, I, I do think there were some shenanigans that went on with the NBA <laughs> in the past. But now that, you know, we see all this stuff at the NCAA and college basketball, like, you know, this is this is a real crime if there actually is fixing going on. It's millions and millions of dollars at stake mm-hmm. here. So, uh, so no, I, I, I don't think um, – I mean, if the Lakers would have won, my answer probably would have been different. Seriously, I know myself that well to know I'm I'm pretty fickle. So I, I would have been pissed if if the Lakers ended up winning that. That just it wouldn't have been fair. But look, a lot of your gods are real. You you can believe them or not believe them. But New Orleans winning this thing, I mean, the universe is you know they have a hand in this. So I'll just leave yeah. it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this too. Like again, assuming Zion goes to. You know, stays in the draft, which we think that's a certainty. And assuming that you know they can't convince Anthony Davis to to want to stay in New Orleans or whatever, and that he becomes a trade ship, like man, talk about New Orleans skipping like eighteen steps ahead on its rebuild. You know, like you get no kidding. In, in year you know not in year zero, basically you get the foundational star who might has the potential to become the best player in the world. And if you do swing a trade for Anthony Davis, like the stuff you're going to get in return, like young players picks like you you are you are so far ahead of schedule already it's and that's crazy and that's what i was thinking today brian is like regardless of what direction they take here which they can obviously go in a lot of different directions if you hold on to davis and even if he walks next year fine like you're still gonna get you're still you gonna benefit zion. this coming season you got zion yeah. and that's gonna attract yeah. free agents in the future and if you trade davis and you get a, a load one of probably the biggest loads we can think of in recent memory, mm-hmm. you know, for NBA trades, New Orleans, like no matter how you look at it, is like kind of set up yep. to be a top six team in the Western Conference for the next decade. Yep, they are, and they've got a good. They have a a good executive and David Griffin, and he's backed by the ownership group. You know, which that matters too. They just brought him in. You know, they they hired him a month ago or whatever. And yeah, I mean, New Orleans has is setting up to have a really, really, really strong foundation and base. I mean, the hardest part is getting a player like Zion, right? Like that's the hardest thing to do. And they they're basically with a six percent chance did that Tuesday night. And look, they're gonna have to walk, you know, they're gonna have to make a lot of hard choices over the next five to ten years and beyond that. But all of those pressure situations that they're gonna have to deal with, like it's still everything becomes so much easier. 
Most teams in the NBA would have to envy the situation that New Orleans has right now. This is going to be this should be a pretty damn good team going forward uh, with the Pelicans. Yep. All right, so let's transition to my piece that I posted on Forbes.com this week. Uh, it was called "The Hornets Can't Afford to Sell Kimball Walker Short." And I was kind of writing this from the point of view of the Hornets front office, not necessarily my personal views. But the gist of the article is that the Hornets clearly want to keep Kimba. And, you know, they've made that clear by putting all their eggs in the Kimba Walker basket by not trading him. And if they had the opportunity, they would have done it two trade deadlines ago. And now that we're approaching his free agency, you start to have to wonder what is the pitch that the Hornets are going to make to Kimba as we know that Kimba, Kimba's top priority seems to be winning. And I, and I know that he's stated that he loves it here. Uh, he, you know, his family is here. He loves the city of Charlotte. And he's said a lot of great things about the city and the organization. But our pitch to him when it comes to winning probably isn't the most convincing one. Uh, the one thing that we do have in our favor, regardless if Kimba makes the All-NBA team and is eligible for that Supermax, we still have the upper hand when it comes to offering Kimba more money, more years than any other team. So I think this presents a, a dilemma not only for Kimba, but also for the front office. And that's kind of why I wrote this piece, um, because I want you all to debate, you know, the readers, Spencer, Brian, is it worth it to offer Kimba this inflated salary? Because the other side of our pitch, which is the winning aspect, might not hold a lot of weight. Or does it more make more sense for him to walk and not have to worry about offering him a contract that could be overinflated? I mean, who knows? Maybe we can offer him a contract that's comparable to some of the other teams out there, uh, whether it's the Nets, the Knicks, the Pacers, um, the Mavericks. But, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Just the fact that the biggest bargaining chip is the money aspect, but that doesn't seem to be where Kimba's head, at, head is at and – do we even want to offer him this, you know, overinflated contract? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just am of the, I'm of the thought that you, you, I use this analogy on another pod I went on with Alex Golden earlier in the week. You know, he's he's a big Indiana Pacers guy, very plugged in there. I would recommend looking him up if you ever need some Pacers knowledge. But you know, he asked me about this because Indiana, as Kimba Walker circled as a as a prospect, they really want to go after and. I just, it's like living on a cul-de-sac, <clears throat> on a street with a cul-de-sac where the lakefront property is down at the end of the cul-de-sac, but the Hornets own like the first house on that street. So as soon as you turn right, they're the first house on the right. Like you're going to pay a premium because you live on the street, right? But it doesn't mean you have to go ahead and pay the max dollar just so you can be on that street because you have kind of the worst lot there. Like that's kind of how I view this thing with Charlotte, certainly in the salary cap situation they're in with a player like Kimball Walker that, look, I love, I love Kimball Walker. He's, he's my favorite Hornet mm-hmm. ever, but he's not a $220 million player in any universe. It just isn't, no. right? So, like, you don't just have to go ahead and do that deal if you're Charlotte. Um, I think you go to the table. You come there with a, you know, with the offer you think is truly fair. And if he decides that he wants to walk and go elsewhere, well, guess what? That's fine. And it's also your fault because you had the opportunity to address this way earlier than you did. So you don't have the right now 
to be upset when you want to be realistic about what he's owed, but he doesn't like that. So Charlotte has put themselves in this situation. So, you know, I I want Mm -hmm. them to be realistic and smart about what they offer him and also want them to understand it's their fault that they're in this situation. Yeah. How many times have we talked about this topic? You know, the not just uh, on this podcast, how many times have we talked about this? Not just the the sort of like the Sophie's choice that's facing the Hornets this this offseason with Kemba and a max contract and and, you know, obviously what he means to the franchise, he's their best player and, you know, where they go forward, what what the impact would be with the fan base, like, and, you know, losing him for essentially nothing in return, potentially, um, you know, how much of a hit would that be? It would be pretty serious. But we've been talking about this. I'm, I'm, I don't want to like, it, yeah. if you've been paying attention to this podcast or the team or any, if you've been plugged in with this team at all, this has been like an issue for a year and a half now, you know? Uh, we, this is something we started talking about in November, December of 2017. Here we are, you know, before we even knew Zion Williamson was, you know, we're talking about this. Now, here we are talking about how he's going to shape the NBA. And it, this is still a topic of conversation. The Hornets kick this can as far down the street as they possibly can. Like right, you know, to, right to the edge of that property that Spencer was just talk, was just alluding to a second ago. Look, if he walks, they got no one to blame but themselves. And, and they'd be fooling themselves to think otherwise. They, of course, have the hammer, you know, the, as the, the term that Zach Lowe likes to use a lot. Like, they can offer the most years the most money. That, that, that's At the end of the day, they can always do that. And perhaps if they came back with an offer that was, that was lower than, than, you know, the, the ultimate max deal, perhaps Kemba, that would, you know, turn him off enough that it would be, the, the, you know, the nail in the coffin for, for him wanting to leave. Um, I feel like the writing on the wall is, is unfortunately, sort of obvious. Like, you know, if he comes back and he wants to win, which we talked about how, like, for him, that's his that's his like primary objective. He wants to win basketball games. This team can't really sell him on any time right. in the next 12, 24 months or so. Like, it, it might be three years from now when this team, or, you know, three seasons from now when this team can really, like, sell him uh, at least some sort of vision of, hey, we can, we can win 40, you know, nine games. We can win 48 games. We can get back to that top half of the East which is going to be run by, you know, the likes of Philadelphia and Milwaukee and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know, like there's no pitch for, there's no pitch for winning right now, unfortunately. And this is something Spencer brought up. I want to say it was like, um, you know, it was maybe a month ago, maybe even longer than that, a couple months ago. But like the thing was because of Batum's contract and because that's on the books as like a boat anchor for two more years, like you can't, you like, you you can't, you couldn't even, it's the, the option of doing Kemba for like, you know, hundred million over three years or, you know, 105 over three, like whatever that Kyle Lowry esque number is, it almost doesn't even make sense because the Hornets can't like contend at all in that window because it's going to overlap so heavily with Batum. Like you got to go four to five years and man, that's just, that's just risky. Like he turned 29 this month or he'll turn 29 uh-huh. this month. It's a bad place to be in. And and I just want to say one more thing real corner. quickly. If you think the Hornets situation is bad right now, imagine if they re-sign Kemba Walker and it's at the Supermax for five years, $221 million. And he, and he does. <laughs> like, look, I'm not, I, don't, not, I hope I'm not speaking this into existence, but imagine if we have to live a John Wall situation all over again and he does suffer you know, a, 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 a devastating knee mm-hmm. injury or whatever it is. I mean, the guy's got injury history. Imagine how much worse the Hornets situation is then. Like that's the way to me because of exactly the specific situation this salary cap is in 
to me, that's the healthy way, the risk management way to look at this. We, we really just can't afford to bring him back now because the risk at that number for that many years at age 34 in the final year of it are too great. They're, they're just too great considering we're already in a bad spot. You know, and again, like they just have to swallow the pill that's going to make them feel bad and not taste good going down. But it's nobody's fault other than their own. And let's let me just throw this one last thing in here about, or it doesn't have to be the last thing, but one more thing I, I want to add in on Kemba here. These are the last four seasons. This this amazing window he's had three All Star games, all under that rookie extension where you had him at a supreme discount. Kemba played 322 games, not including the playoffs in 15-16. 322 regular season games. It's well over 11,000 minutes. That was 81 games, 79 games, 80 games. He played all 82 games this season, as you guys know. Over that track of time, a 29% usage rate, including a 31.5% usage rate this season during his age 28 year. Like, this was the best Kemba has to offer, okay? Like, it, it is so unlikely that he could actually actually you know replicate the the maybe he could be as he could be more efficient in the right situation but like that's probably not likely to happen with the talent around him in charlotte i just can't see a situation where he's able to play this minutes with that workload again and there's just it's crazy to be able to expect this guy to continue that usage and play 75 plus games a season into his mid-30s like it's just not possible you're not you're going to be paying a premium Forgetting the downslope of his career. And I, and I, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I worry about the wear and tear with him because he's been put through the ringer the last couple of years. Um, and really with not a whole lot to show for it, other than basically every scoring record in the, the franchise's book. But like, other than that, you know, seven playoff games, that's tough. So I, I just worry that you've seen the best of this guy, even though he's got a lot to offer still, right? And he's, he can still, that guy can still go out and, win you a playoff series if he was in the right situation with the right teammates like he's still an all-star he's still a great great player but like spencer said like in no planet is this guy a 220 million dollar player i'm not sure like anyone outside of like you know a handful of guys are worth that much and you know even at 190 over five or whatever that's still a ton of cash it's, it's too much it's just too, yeah. it's just too much and it, it sucks that they got played into this corner i think kemba's kemba should go get as much money as he wants. He should play with whatever team he wants. He's earned it. But just like whomever is paying that guy next season, it could totally still be Charlotte. Like you're, you're probably not going to be getting the best version of this guy as sad as that may be. No, he's not going to live up to this contract unless you offer him some kind of crazy discounted price, which he's already done for the Charlotte Hornets. And, and if we're the ones that offer that discounted price, I'm not sure why Kimba would want to come back because yeah. he can get that Makes no sense. same type of money out on the market. But I just worry that the front office is going to view this as we can't allow him to leave because we did put all of our eggs in his basket. If we lose him for nothing, it's going to be a failure. So they might, in my eyes, I feel like they might offer him a little bit too much. And, uh, you know, you know, Brian, you always say this, it's a Sophie's choice. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, uh, there's definitely going to be some consequences regardless of how you kind of view this before we end this, I just want to get your quick thoughts on this. If you were to put a percentage on the Hornets versus the field, where does Kimba end up? I know there's like a month's time before, you know, this actually happens. What's the percentage that you think that he stays versus the field? I, I'll say 40, he stays, 60, he goes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to answer that real in just a second, Richie, but I want to make one last point about this Supermax 
here, here, okay. Kimball Walker is the, like the purest example to me of how this has. This is one of the worst rules the NBA has put in, in in a very, very long time because the guys that do deserve it and can come close to living up to the contract have proven it doesn't mean much to them, probably because a combination of things, all the endorsement money they're getting off the court and because they're being, you know, they want happiness, right? So, so this $220 million doesn't mean much, but to the guys like Kimball Walker and John Wall, and we'll see another one here soon that probably won't will never live up to that and everybody knows that going into it like they are more likely to take that deal because that's financial security for their entire life and and their their grandkids and their grandkids right so it is literally backfired on the league in in both directions which is crazy to think about but anyways that that that's way deep into the weeds i just want to make that point i would say 65 percent that he goes to the field and 35 he comes back to the hornets yeah, I'm. Uh, and by the way, to Richie's point from a second ago, like let's just hope those Charlotte Hornets front office understands the sunk cost fallacy. Um, I, <laughs> it, in the past, it has not been obvious, but you know, uh, with maybe with Cub check there, they see a different light. They certainly they certainly behave differently at the trade deadline than I think perhaps some of their previous decisions would have uh, led led one to believe how they would have uh, gone forth with a uh, potential Marcus Soul trade. I think right now I'm at, I, and I've, I think I've backtracked because I think when we, we talked about this a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, I, I still thought he was more likely to return. At this point, I'm just saying it's a coin flip, like 50-50. Yeah. Uh, the Hornets still have plenty of advantages, which we just covered. And you know, I do think there's the loyalty factor. There's going to be plenty of suitors in free agency, though. But, but So you know, talk to me tomorrow, and I might skew those numbers a little bit differently. But for right now, I'm saying 50-50 with Kemba uh, staying in Charlotte. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Etsy, Amazon, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, BuzzBeat listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the code B-L-U-E, BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. All right, let's dig in uh, to some draft prospects. Um, I don't know. We've, we're picking number 12. Have we ever been in that range before, you guys? Or is this, is this <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. uh, 
I mean, I mean, Spencer, there's there's such a big difference between eleven and twelve. You just can't you can't understand, man. It's it's a totally different thing, you know. Wait, hold on, hold hold on. This is going to take a second, but this is where it needs to be in the podcast. So I got to find it real quick. Uh, it'll take two seconds. All right, all right. Hornets since two thousand and eight have picked between eight and twelve nine times. God, wrap your Say mind that one around more time. that. Say, say that one more time, actually. Like, say it out loud into the microphone one more time here. The Hornets, since 2008, that was 11 years ago, have picked between number eight and number 12 in the draft nine times. That's unbelievable. Isn't that and crazy? Yet totally belie- I mean, and yet totally believable. Because, <laughs> cause, because if you pose that hypothetical to Richie and I before we started recording this, and we're like, hey, which NBA franchise has done this? Like since 2008 has picked between these two numbers in the middle of the, of the first round, you know, 90% of the time. Like obviously we would guess the Hornets, right? Like there is, there sure. is no one that is a more a, uh, ardent believer in the, uh, the treadmill of mediocrity that is the NBA as the Hornets. As the Hornets. Just it's just like seeing full it. Full ahead to 40 wins <laughs> and uh, – Right, right, right. It's just like seeing it with your own eyes and hearing it with your own ears. It's like, wait, think, what? Think really? about how many. Like, I just always wanted to believe. Like, think about how many times that in that in that range that the Cavaliers have gotten the number one pick, the Nor and the New Orleans Pelicans have gotten the number one pick. Like, think about that. Multiple times, both those teams have gotten the yeah. number one pick, uh, including a handful of times so, for the Cavs. So, and, and Simmons brought this up on his pod, which I thought was a fascinating point. So, like, everybody probably has a different opinion on since 2000, like what the generational talents are, right? LeBron James, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis probably would put yeah. in that whatever basket, however many players it was. New Orleans is going to end up yeah. getting two of those guys. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, yeah, wait, it's crazy. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, all right. So, let's get to what we came here for. Um all right, we're going to start with Bull Bull. I uh, have not discussed him yet. Kind of our series of uh, running through draft prospects. Look, <clears throat> this guy has things you can't teach. And I mean, honestly, like just from a, a physical standpoint, and th- the physical tools he brings to the table, he's truly like a once in a generation kind of kind of athlete with the things that he can do. Seven seven wingspan. Nine seven and a half standing reach, which I think is second in Draft Express's database all time, or since they've had a database. And Taco Fall from Central <laughs> Florida uh, set the record today. He set the, he set every like right. measurement record they've ever had for big. Um, <laughs> so look, like what this guy brings to the table physically is you just there's you can't teach it, right? Like you gotta you gotta roll with that kind of stuff and think, okay, we can we can do something with this. Pick and pop big, you know, it's going to create space offensively. I mean, you know, he didn't play many games last year. I forgot to write this nine. down exactly how many he played, but nine games, nine games. Okay. So very, very, very small sample. He took 19 NBA threes last season, according to the stepion.com and their shot chart tool, um, 13 of 19, 68% above the break threes. So just above the break college threes, 13 of 22, 59%. Um, very small sample, but like both of those numbers are like Dracaris, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> breathing fire kind of numbers, you know, like, I mean, especially for a guy that's seven, three, um, very smooth athlete, you know, runs for, for as long as he is. I mean, really runs like a deer, you know, light on his feet, I would say. 
uh, pretty quick off the floor for his size. I mean, around the basket, not a whole lot of wasted motion. He does a pretty good job of keeping the ball, keeping the ball up on his chest, not bringing it down. He was 90th percentile in the country with post ups, which is pretty good, but not surprising, you know, knowing that you have a almost a 10 foot standing reach. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, to say all that, I do not like Bull Ball as a prospect. I don't think he's a very good basketball player. You know, I think he has intangibles that just so few NBA players have with all of his length. But this guy lacks a purpose on the floor a lot of the times, especially defensively. Offensively, he takes some really, really tough shots. If you go back and just watch some of the high, and and again, like this is all, this is a nine game sample, right? Like it's as small as you can get for a prospect that's thought of this highly. But, you know, sometimes you, you thought you were watching a player. You know that that did believe he was the next LeBron James with with some of the the tough shot making he he tried to create offensively. That's the most annoying part on the offensive end. Defensive end again, just really loses um, focus uh, very often. Can be pushed off his spot very easily. That's on both ends of the floor. As tall as he is, as long as he is, doesn't possess much strength at all, lower or upper body. Very sloppy skill set. Uh, offensively he likes to put it on the floor but his, his dribble as you can imagine is very very high it's easy to take away for take it away from him and had really there's no signs that he's a passer at all uh or, or really has any vision at all i mean this is a guy with with really severe tunnel vision uh which is unique for a big but also unique for a big um with really what his skill set is. I mean, he's a smooth athlete. He can go by his defender at 7-3, which is like crazy to think about. But there's just – there's zero sign that he has any feel for the rest of the floor. You know, that bothers me. Look, I'm saying a lot right now. In the end, he's a – to me, is a very, very, very long-term project. Um, I know if Kimball walks – and the Hornets wouldn't know this till after the draft. But, you know, if Kimball were to walk, obviously – you would say, okay, let's just swing for the fences, right? Mm-hmm. Like bowl ball is a perfect kind of pick. Let's see how it works out. I just don't ever think this guy's going to be an impact impact player in the NBA. I, I don't think he's a very good basketball player. I think he's light years away from understanding the game at that speed. He couldn't even understand the college game at that speed. It was pretty obvious in the film. And, man, I think he's a stay away. Brian. What do you think? Yeah, he's kind of a funny – he's just a weird basketball player to watch, like in general, because he's so tall. It's like if if Thonmaker tried to play like Kevin Durant, you know, like that's like what it, against college players, like it looks it looks comedic. Um, it, it doesn't look bad at times. Like he, he's, a, he's an interesting shot maker, which almost makes you wonder. You're like, yeah, I know this guy's a center, but it, it feels like he's a guy that like wishes he could play the three, you know, like he, he spent too much time watching Durant YouTube clips. Yeah, defensively, like he's clueless, right? Like he just has no, I mean, shot block numbers are pretty good. Um, as you one would expect with a guy that's, you know, nine feet tall, uh, 13% block rate. Um, but his pick and roll defense, I mean, it is, the guy just doesn't know what he's doing. Like no concept of space or awareness. Like it's just hilarious, you know? Yeah. I don't know what you do with him there. Like that, that's, I I don't don't know. uh, Even beyond the fact, you know, that, that he, he just completely loses focus on defense. Like what he's not playable. When you play, you know, yeah. playing against a Steph Curry or Damian Lillard or Kyrie yeah. Irving, like I mean, he has to be off the floor. 
watching film of him and and then watching the Portland uh, Warriors game from last night this morning, like that I taped, like, you know, the thought of him trying to contain Steph Curry is it's like, I mean, the, the Warriors would just score like two and a half points every possession, you know, just like here and you're going to score every time. You know, we talked about Jackson Hayes on the on the pod last week. Like he's, you know, that guy's basically just learning the center position. But man, he is light years ahead of Bull Bull in terms of like pick and roll coverages, and he's just as good of a shot blocker. Um, Bull, you know, good athlete, but not really not super twitchy. Uh, these long loopy strides that sort of correspond with his dribble, which, like as you said, Spencer, pretty loose. But he, you know, he likes to get to it and go right. I have no clue if this guy can go left. Um, his shot profile is pretty awesome for the span of nine games, right? Like 15 dunks in nine games. That's a ton. 52% on threes. Um, he shot 72% overall at the rim, including transition possessions. But like, while, while all that is intriguing in his frame, man, I just defensively, it's just, I can't see how this is going to work out. Some other numbers of his, I mean, big numbers, again, small sample size, but on catch and shoots in the half court, 81% effective shooting, which is insane. Uh, overall, 61% effective shooting on jump shots in the half court, shot 56% on uh, on post-ups and 66% at the basket in the half court. Like, again, these numbers are great, but some of that is against really bad competition. And again, in a tiny sample and defensively, like the guy is just, he's so far away from from being like playable on on that end i just you know yeah take 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 like the worst of willie aaron and gomez you know and like make him younger and skinnier with less weight on like it just he's got that kind of it's like if malik monk grew a foot and they were like yeah play pick and roll defense and just like that guy just sort of spinning in circles while people are racing past him for layups at the rim um i just can't I again, I think he said, I think he's a project. I think if you were drafting later in the first round, I think there's some some upside and some intrigue. But for the Hornets, even if they're staring down the, a rebuild, like I just think he's, I just think there's a little too much risk with this. Yeah, pick. I agree. Even at 12, I, I just don't think it's worth it. You know, I always yeah. think like Brian with prospects like this, like Bobo, like you watch him and you're like, well, here's what I think, which I think you <laughs> and I just laid out pretty clearly. But at the same time, I wonder like, but what if like a team like San Antonio got their hands on a guy like this and he right. just like focused on these five things and he just turned a corner, mm-hmm. he used every single physical, he, he just extracted every ounce, uh, you know, of positive yeah. nature out of every physical tool he has. And all of a sudden he's like maybe a top 50 player in the NBA, but he has to go to the perfect franchise with the perfect player development um, sector, you know, to be successful and, I just don't trust Charlotte. So, yeah, n- neither do I. I don't think um, you know, like the best version of this guy is like one of the best players in the class. I just don't think he's gonna, and, that, and I can see that's why. Like, I know people, including some some smart Hornets fans, that like him a lot. But like, I just, I, I just think there are better players to be to be had at twelve, and I, and I don't think it's like necessarily uh, you know that close either. Including, let's go ahead and use that as a transition as we're running long here already. One of those players that we do think is pretty good and that will likely be available at pick 12, uh, Kentucky sophomore, I guess power forward is probably how you would describe him at this point. P.J. Washington, this is a guy that tested the waters last season after a, an okay, not great freshman season, went to the combine, got measured, came back, um, and, and really had a pretty great season. I mean, I, I would say in terms of SEC players, I think only Grant Williams, who we talked about on the pod last week, was 
was better, more impactful, and, and more of a winning player. And whom, by the way, like I like a little bit more as a prospect. But overall, I like PJ. Um, some of his measurements from the combine last year: six five and a half. You know, he's not he's not super tall, but seven two and a half wingspan. It's pretty good. Standing reach um, eight eight feet eleven inches. So just think about that compared to Bull Bull is like pretty funny, honestly. Um, basketball is a funny sport, man. Uh, you know these guys in theory could play like the same position. I think PJ has some, some like small ball five potential. I mean, everyone's sort of like looking for the next PJ Tucker, the next Draymond green. This guy's not, no one's Draymond green. So let's take that comparison and, and throw it in the garbage quickly. But like we talked about the PJ Tucker comparison with, with Grant Williams last week. I'm not crazy about PJ's motor. I think there were some questions over his effort level at some point in his career, but like, the dude came back in the NCAA tournament this year and played like on a like a messed up foot. So like we should probably chill on on some of the effort uh, question marks. I, I do sort of question his motor at times, but he can look really tough and rugged on defense. You know, you see PJ Tucker handling bigger drug guys driving at him, and he can sort of like absorb the contact and, and contest the shot. And I think PJ has some of that in his game. Uh, he plays with a lot of confidence, and the guy just got way better across the board. Like I feel like with a lot of these guys that. Go to the, that you know, test the waters, and then decide to come back, or flirt with the NBA, and then decide to come back. You know, the next season things go haywire. It happened with with uh, Daniel Gafford at, at Arkansas. You know, Jonte Porter got hurt this year at Missouri, but the guy got better literally across the board in every single thing: efficiency, usage, shot blocking. Uh, obviously, the big ad for him was the three point shot this year. He shot forty two percent on threes, over two attempts per game. Not a, not crazy volume, but. But, you know, not nothing for the season. He was 33-78 from deep, um, 178 free throws, which is pretty good, too. Average 15 points, 7.5 rebounds. Post-game, like, he's got the ability to to post mismatches and stuff like that. 0.9 points per possession out of the post, 52% shooting. Um, you know, strong, good balance, can, like, face up from these short ranges and, and attack. And feels just, I feel like he just plays, like, I feel like he doesn't have, he's not super explosive. He doesn't have this, like, amazing vertical burst but like he can just go straight up and just finish over people um it's like he's able to create a little bit of separation and maybe that'll be harder with longer athletes in the nba but right now it's pretty impressive good passer right like the according to synergy kentucky scored over 1.5 points per possession when he passed out of a post up and that guy finished the possession which is a huge you know it's one it's basically the best number in the country and he showed some good cross-court reads on 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 closeouts you know he's really just a straight like straight line closeout guy now but he can make some passes and he can use both hands um spot up no dribble jumpers this year for him at kentucky this was a huge jump for him 1.4 points per possession 70 percent effective shooting um that's pretty good and he shoots from the mid-range too his free throw numbers weren't great 66 percent but like on a not tiny volume of shots i mean maybe you'd like to see a little bit more he's shown some pretty good efficiency from the mid-range and from threes, like I think he's got pick and pop upside. At times, he feels like you know. I think his release is quicker in part because I think DeAndre Hunter's release is, is pretty slow, but like still effective. But like they kind of like their face up actions sort of remind me of one another. If you watch film of him, so Spencer, this is my question to you: What do you think of PJ Washington's like? What, what do you think of his athleticism, his burst, of ex, his explosiveness? Like, is it a concern, or, or do you think like he's is it is it solid or is it sneaky good or does he have room for upside there? I think it's solid. Like I look at a guy like Mo Harkless who's playing in the in the playoffs right now in a role mm-hmm. that 
Portland could use a, an upgrade in. And I think PJ Washington and Edmo Harkless's age, you know, could could make more of an impact. I, I think, you know, you were just talking about the jump shot. I'm very, very impressed with, you know, he took 21 three pointers the season before last at Kentucky. This year he took 78. And not those weren't mm-hmm. just catch and shoot off pick and pops where he didn't have a defender within eight feet of him. Like those were, I mean, he, he took some shots this year with a defender with his hand in his pocket right there next to him, like pull up. Like I saw some like wing aspects, um, you know, MPJ mm-hmm. Washington. No, he's not a quick twitch, incredible athlete. He doesn't have a, a, a great dribble game. Um, but those are things I think he can develop. I, I look at a guy that developed as quickly as he did with his shot in one season where there was literally almost no evidence that that was there. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see how quickly that grows, I, I feel like there's more t- to be had from him as an athlete. And you talk about, you know, not wearing shoes the last time he was measured, you know, pretty short, which I think to a lot of people would be, oh man, we got a problem here. But if we're evaluating a guy like DeAndre Hunter is a very low usage three and D wing, and we're going to say, yeah, I think he's a top five prospect. Then why, then why do we look at PJ Washington as a low usage? Maybe you could call him a three and D prospect with, with really high end rebounding um, and maybe passing ability down the Mm -hmm. road. You know, why are we looking at him as maybe a lottery prospect, right? Like outside of the physical, I mean, you really can't, you can kind of compare him physically, but not totally. Like I think those two guys are a little closer to each other than than most are are believing. And obviously, the NCAA tournament has a lot to do with that, right? Like it'll steer you in one direction. DeAndre, you know, Hunter carries yeah. his team to the national yeah. champion championship. You're like, oh, of course he's a top five pick. I think Hunter's the better prospect, but I don't think it's by very much. And maybe not at all. And I would even contend that Washington might have a better shot at becoming a wing in the NBA than Hunter. And I'm going to get laughed at for saying that. But I just think you see these guys out of Kentucky every single year that are are pinned with this very specific role under Calipari's system. And then they get to the league, especially bigs, out of that system. And we, we see, whoa, I didn't know this guy could do all this other stuff. And again, the amount that Washington grew in one year in his sophomore season at Kentucky, I just I think there's more there, and in some of that yeah. is flying. Yeah, he got he got way he got he got way way better. And I I think with I think you know I think Hunter's defense is a bit of a, a like a differentiation point. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I also want to put you on the spot now too. So you would take PJ Washington over Grant Williams if you had the option to take either of those two guys at number twelve, or what about Brandon Clark there? Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think I would. I think I'd take PJ Washington over okay. both of those players right now. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made for that. I still like Grant. I like Clark more than all those guys. I, mean, I still like Grant a little bit more than than PJ, but I think all of those guys are, are fine picks at, at twelve. Seriously, I'm with you. I like PJ a lot and, too, and I like all. Just to like have it on record, I like all three of those guys a right, lot. Right, I think right. those are three players we're going to look back in this draft, regardless regardless of their measurements and numbers, that we're going to say those are winning basketball players. All three of them, they're winning yep. basketball players, and that usually translates to a role at any level of basketball. So that's really how I would categorize them. But I think Washington has the best upside. I think when you get to that point in the lottery, it's hard to decipher between those players because 
they clearly do have flaws and trying to decide between you know those three that you guys just mentioned is, is going to be something that's tough but i do think it's time to wrap this episode thanks again for tuning in to another episode of buzzbeat we hope you guys enjoyed us discussing kimba's future and learning a little bit more about bobo of oregon and uh, pj washington of kentucky we do have about i would say a month or so before the draft We'll continue to pump out this draft coverage, especially with Brian and Spencer. And uh, we will see you guys next time. So go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.